Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. Is episode 469 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Jochen Heisman of Asylum Square and ask them about the design and development of their dexterity-based platform adventure game, Tiny Thor. This game isn't so much about Thor, but more than his hammer. It's a 2D platformer, as I've already mentioned, but the biggest Selling point, if you like, it's a horrible phrase, but is its hammer, Mjolnir, is well, it just keeps going. You fire it off, and rather than dissipating and going into some ether like most projectiles do in platform games, no, Mjolnir keeps going and going, which presents its own unique challenge to create levels that are challenging. Sorry for the pun, but I had to go there. And we delve into this in the show. We really talk about we have this extraordinarily powerful weapon given to the player, and yet you have to maintain a sense of, well, difficulty, challenge. There is that word again. We talk about many other things as well, but that's the key point we do delve into. Now, the music is by Chris Hulbeck and Fabian Del Prior. And uh, you can hear it throughout this show. And there, there is a link to the soundtrack you can get from Bandcamp, which is uh, accompanied with this podcast. So do, if you like the music, which I hope you do, because I think it's fantastic, then pop along to Bandcamp and grab a copy. So without further ado, let's listen to me from the relatively recent past talk to Jochen. Chris, take it away. Hello, Johan. Hi, nice to meet you. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name is Jochen. I'm from Germany and I'm a video game developer for, yeah, for decades, basically. And uh, yeah, my latest game is Tiny Thor, um, which was just released for PC and Switch. It was indeed. And that's why you're here, to have a chat about it. But before we do, we need to find out a little bit more about you, Jochen. So, how did you make your start making video games? Oh, okay. Um, So I'm born in 1980. And uh, back then, when I grew up, I grew up with with home computers, like C64 and Amiga and all those consoles like 
the Famicom or Mega Drive. And uh, back then there was no such a thing like the the internet uh, or something. But I I was like games really made a big impression on me as a child. I spent all my free time playing games. And basically once in a while there was the question for me, how can you do this stuff? And this was basically the start. I ever wanted to be like a game developer since since in young age. And uh, but there was nothing like a like education or like you can nowadays you can study game design or game development, but this wasn't a thing back then. So I just started making hobby projects, and only very very much later I got into like a, I I became a real game developer when I got a job as a game developer. But before I basically just did it by in my free time and I tried to learn everything I could. Can you remember the tools you used back then and how what was your first job in the industry? Yes, so so when I started as a as a kid, there was basically um I started on basic on an uh Microsoft DOS system and when it it later took it really took off when I got my first Amiga because the cool thing of the Amiga was besides playing all those cool games, if you compare it to like uh, like Super Nintendo or something like this, is that you could try to, that you could create your own stuff. You don't have had access back then to um, on consoles, but on the Amiga you could. And there was basically a, a tool called Amos, which was basically... A programming language which made it easier to program to program on the Amiga. You couldn't do like all the cool stuff with it, but it was uh, easier to learn. And later, um, I tried to do like the assembly language on Amiga, which was pretty hard because for me, because like I said, there was no internet or anything, so. You could buy a book or something, but it was very hard, especially for a, for a child. So so later, I I got a job in a in a music shop basically, where I did like um, we did those sampling CDs CDs back then, where the music producers could buy and they could use the samples to create tracks. And I did games on the side. So and and there was there, there were also also games which I got published by companies. They were low budget productions and they are also uh, available for free on Steam. But they are pretty old and they are not to the technical standards we used to nowadays. So keep that in mind if you check it out. <laughs> and uh, yeah, then I did work in the web industry like like web shops and stuff like that and i i was quite good at doing all this uh, web based programming and so in 2006 uh, there was a job offering by a company called gameforge and that, and they did browser games and i never had enough 
fate in me to like trying to get a job in the real industry. And with this, I thought, yeah, you know, all this stuff about databases and programming and you want to really, you want to make games and maybe this is the chance to get into games. And uh, yeah, then I started there as a game developer for around like five years. It was really fun times. And the the cool thing about Game Fortress, they were very small when I started and they um, grew very fast. And a lot of like the people who I followed in my house, they joined Gameforge in like uh, producers I knew from the magazines or or programmer, programmers and uh, a lot of people joined Gameforge back then and this was really cool for me because I worked together with like those people I which work I adored. And yeah, this was basically my first real job as an employee in the gaming industry. Next question. As a creator, can you tell us, what are your biggest influences? So obviously, because I grew up in the 80s, 90s, those games really made a big impression on me, especially like... uh, um, there is a game on Amiga called Turrican, and I I I love this game. It it was because it was uh, technic technic technical. It was very advanced and very good, but it had also very good game design and game flow to it. Which in retrospective on the Amiga, there were a lot of impressive games back then, but if you pl- a lot of them, if you play them today, they the game design is not as good as probably the ones who appeared on Super Nintendo or Mega Drive. This was a big influence on me, especially those games were the reason I want to get started in the industry. And of course, like most game developers who grew up in this time, I really love its software and all the history about them and because they they did such great things not only on a technical standpoint but also on a, like game design perspective and uh, yeah and basically today i i love all the games from all the nintendo games they they are just so good <laughs> and yeah that's also a big inspiration for me Sounds like to me you admire technical flair, but not at the expense of everything else. Yeah, I guess this really changed a little bit through the development of Tiny Thor. Because I was always a technical guy, I I love to be to 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 watch things on a machine which are very hard to do. And but if if it's only a technical showcase and the game is not good, it's yeah, it, it's something missing. So, but I but I really uh, what I what I like about the old days is that often uh, new game designs evolved because of technical limitations. You don't have this so much today, and this is uh, yeah, this was is re- really nice. Shadow the Beast is the game that immediately springs to mind describing <laughs> yeah. that. Technical Marvel, not much of a game. 
Anyway. Yeah, the, the third part was okay. <laughs> it was it was nice. <laughs> Next question. What video game developer do you admire most and why? Yeah, so as I told before, it's like the guys from It Software, like John Romero, John Carmack. I really like them. <laughs> but like when I grew up, I read all those magazines, those game magazines. And back then there were quite some like inside reports, development diaries and stuff like this. And because of this, I get to know about some German programmers and I also adore them, especially like after after Factor 5, there were people who founded a company like Neon was the name. And later it became Keen Games. They are still um, in business to this date. And one of the founders, he also created a new company a few years ago, ago which is called Kaiko, which already existed way years before but he just used the name again. And I, yeah, it's like the people I, I follow. I I have a look, what are they doing next? And uh, yeah, they, they really, um, I, I really like them and check out what they are doing because they like for in Germany, there aren't that much developer who make like, who do it, those big productions and especially in a few years ago when there was PlayStation 1 and 2 and like Keen Games they they did games for PlayStation 2 and yeah this was like if you if you're in Germany and there is a German team who who does impressive stuff this is of course really nice excellent yeah usual suspect and also uh, your fellow country folk excellent yeah <laughs> So, last question. What are you playing right now? Oh, okay. Um, yesterday evening I started Dois X uh, Mankind. What What was? Yeah. Mankind. Dois X game. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm only in like two hours, but uh, so far I like it. And before that, I played Kena, which I really liked. It's like a 3D platformer, okay. Um, which were very nice art and animation, but also good gameplay. And <laughs> actually, um, after the week, so there wasn't in Germany. There was an event last weekend, which was like an Amiga uh, event, where there were like 800 Amiga fans, and there was one guy called. Richard Löwen, Löwenstein, I think was his name. And he did a new game for Amiga and I bought it. It's, it is in a physical box and of course I play, played it also. Um, I only played it in the emulator because I don't own an Amiga anymore. But this was very nice that there are still people around who are making new games for these old machines, I, which is uh, yeah impressive because it's like... If if you do like a game to nowadays on PC or for console, it, you have so much tools and stuff which makes your life easier, and you ho you don't have that too much if you develop for those old machines. And I really like this. 
I've met a few people who make games for these inverted commas dead platforms. Yeah, I know that's not true. Everything yeah, from NES to Commodore sixty four, uh, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad. Yeah, that's I, that I love stuff. these guys. Also, if you're like uh, on this event, it, it's, it's if you compare it, for example, to Gamescom, um, where everything is like commercialized. And those people, they are, they don't care that only a few people play their games. They, they do it because they love it. And uh, yeah. that's really, really nice to see this. Yeah. They don't do it for, they, they, they know they're not going to make any money from it at all. Yeah. That's yeah. not the point. No. <laughs> it's the love right. of the platform. It's the love of the community. It's the, you know, they, a lot of games come out on the Commodore 64 and cartridge. And they, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Then remake the cartridges, remold them, and go there. You go, yeah. and uh, and yeah, they I, they bring modern design sensibilities. Yeah, that's about that's really good because they. So in the in the last twenty thirty years, we learned a lot in game design, and they apply it to these old machines, which is really awesome. It's like they've gone back in a time machine. To their old selves <laughs> yeah. and, and took them by the scruff of the neck, going, "No, this <laughs> is how you make a game." Yeah, and like this is how you're supposed to do it, and it's wonderful. It really is wonderful. Yeah. So that's it for the first half. Well done, you made it. Let's delve into the second half of the show, where we're going to really examine very, very closely tiny thoughts. question, Johan, before we delve deep into Tiny Thor, is this. Can you tell us what is Tiny Thor? Tiny Thor is a 
retro-inspired platform game, like all the classics like Super Mario, Sonic, Mega Man, those kind of stuff. But what's different is is that the that the player has this magic hammer he can throw around, and the hammer bounces off environment walls and also enemies and you can use this for example to uh, attack enemies who are holding a shield in front of them like with like uh, around two counters when it ricochets off the walls to attack him from behind for example simple example and besides that it's like we really celebrate like the uh, 16-bit um, times. Um, we have beautiful pixel art, and we also tried to go into the direction with the music, just those, uh, yeah, feel good to have those uh, nostalgic feelings uh, with the game, but also with a very modern approach to game design. For example, um we have a lot of precision platforming, which is inspired by Celeste a lot. And uh, yeah, that's it basically. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. I think the biggest point that struck me, there's two things I'm going to delve into now. Here we go, technical questions. You'll be fine. You'll, yeah. you'll be fine. But the first question is this. Uh, Mjolnir, I think that's where you pronounce I don't know yeah. how you pronounce it. Something like that. Um, but it is the weapon of Thor, and Thor gets it. Dad gives it to him, Odin. Yep. It's not the same Odin as him from um, God of War, by the way. He's a nasty piece of work. No, not him, uh, although played brilliantly by that particular actor. No, not him, but <laughs> I kept on getting distracted going, oh, look, there's the two ravens I'm meant to be really scared of. No, not not that, not that one, Chris. Um, and But point being... This is an amazing weapon for a 2D platformer. It keeps going. It yeah. doesn't dissipate. Most, you know, projectile weapons in a platformer dissipate. You fire them off and they peter out, and that's fine. That's what you expect. Yeah. But Milner doesn't peter out. Of course it doesn't. It's, it's, it's more powerful than Thor himself. That's the point. Yeah. That's the point. And what I just want to ask is, that's a very unusual thing to have in a very, so we say, precision-based platformer that requires you to yep. you know, make sure you get. So how have you found designing the environments and the world, knowing the player has the ability to decimate half the level with a well-aimed yep. strike? Yeah, this this was indeed a problem at the beginning when we started to experiment with this mechanic. Um, so at first, so so the problem in the beginning was that uh, the players just threw the hammer and they stopped playing. They just standing still until the hammer did all the work, like destroying the enemies. And while this sounds at first, it gets pretty boring pretty fast so what we tried first was to like um, make the flight time of the hammer um, to make a limit on the flight time of the hammer 
So like you have a few seconds and after that you have to gain mana or something to be in a position where you can throw the hammer again. And we did this by like giving the player like a near attack where he can gain this mana and then if he has enough he can throw the hammer and let him do his work. Which had the new problem that most players didn't throw the hammer at all because it's a limited resource. They don't know when they should use it. When not, and all the play tests, they, they just didn't use the hammer anymore. So we um, did go back to the drawing board and the next thing what we did was like like we had a pretty the the native resolution of the game back then was like 320 by 200 something and we then tried to zoom out a little bit so now the native resolution is 640 and this makes for a lot more space for the hammer flying around and now it's very unlikely that or you have to wait much longer um, if you just want to wait until the hammer did his job. You can still do it sometimes, but it's, it's, yeah. And this was when the game started to work. And of course, then we tried to design the enemies around it, the environments around it. We have like small puzzles in the game, which are uh, designed all around Molnir. And uh, yeah, at this time we were, it was like this wasn't the start of the project because we worked on the project like one or two years already. And then we changed that mechanic because we all always felt there's something missing. And then we found it and we thought, yeah, that that's the thing we missed all the time. And that caused that we have to throw away all the content we did before. <laughs> Um, but it was necessary because, yeah, the old content didn't just work anymore. And, of course, this uh, higher res resolution was also a challenge for our artists because especially like, like the bosses, which we really wanted to be as big as the whole screen, um, yeah, it's a lot of work if you, if you do it like... Uh, put pixel by pixel um, on the screen. So yeah, that that were was a challenge as well. And another thing, we also threw away um, again content we did then because like it's it's uh, like the gameplay mechanic, the game uh, this this hammer throwing thing, it's not something a lot of other games did already. I don't know any, to be honest. And if you work with this mechanic, you're getting better designing stuff for it the longer you work with it. So if you work, for example, on it for, for a year or something, and you go back to the content you did at the beginning, it often is it's just not as good as the new content you create. So you have to rework this also again. Because it's like it's a learning process also for you as a designer. Let's move on to the next question because we could go real deep with that one. <laughs> I want to talk about health. There's an ability for Tiny Thor. He is a god, but he can 
not expire. Let's be clear, he's a god, even if he is a small one. But there's a health mechanic in that you pick up a heart, and yep. that heart can be, if you've received damage in any way, it then goes floating off with a little number attributed to it. And if you catch it just before the number ticks off, then you get the heart back and you can get damaged again. It's similar in kind of way to, to Sonic and his yes. inimitable rings. Is that where that comes from? And how did that come about? Because it felt like to me like, yes, Tiny Thor revels in its challenge. It really does, everyone. It, it celebrates its you know its difficulty, more to the point where it frustrates the player, because we're past that now. That was something that used to be the case. Games used to be, you know, they were frustrating in the wrong reasons. This is not the case with Tiny Thor. And I think this is the one of the ways you've actually alleviate that. Am I right in thinking that? Yes, ex- yes, absolutely. So the the idea, you're right, it's pretty similar to the Sonic rings on a from a, um, like, if you if you just view it from a, a mechanical side, and uh, other people also mentioned like the baby in Yoshi's Island, which is also absolutely true. It also works similar to this. But I think where I got the idea from is in a there there was an Amiga game called Mr. Nuts, and it it has nothing to do with the Super Nintendo Mr. Nuts game, and I'm not one hundred percent sure. But I think they have a very similar mechanic also with like so tiny hit points who are trying to jump away from you. And that's where I think the original idea comes from. So we changed it like we have this timer. You can also upgrade the timer so you have more time. And uh, you also later in the game, in the upgrade shop, you can buy an ability where you can... Uh, catch it back with the hammer and uh, yeah but but this was the starting point of the idea and then also of course we remembered Yoshi's Island <clears throat> sorry Sonic and uh, thought about it what we can do with with this knowledge uh, knowing that the for these uh, games it worked good yeah it works exceptionally well I did rely on it especially on the first boss although um, I yeah. found the first boss fantastic, really well designed, and I ended up just channeling my breakout skills towards the end, <laughs> which I think is what you're encouraging the player to do. Like, yeah. you remember, remember breakout? Yeah, yeah, yeah you do. Go on, sure. you know what to do. You know, yeah, there it is. And uh, I felt great when I actually got that. My Mjolnir trapped between it and it didn't have a dance. Like, there you go. Yeah, but yeah, that's, it's hard that's... to do. It's hard to do, but I did it. I went, yes. Yeah, even if it happens accidentally, it's still a good feeling. Yeah, it's like, there you go, eat that. Fantastic design of that first boss, everyone. Listeners, really, do if you want to do something, just check out that first. It's so, so clever. <laughs> really well done. It's not frustrating at all. I thought, yeah, every time I lost, it was my fault. My fault. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Third question. Here we go. I want to talk about momentum. Tiny Thor also has a lot of momentum in it. You've got to, got to yeah. keep going. You've got to keep moving for the most part. Not always. Standing still was also a wise move. But there are some times when, yes, you get eventually get you know other skills and abilities and you move around a little bit easier. But 
that's really important, you know, speed, momentum, to get from one place to another. Can you talk us through how that evolved, how that sense? Because you could have been more static, and that's fine too, you know, having a platformer that has precision yeah. platforming, as you mentioned, Celeste, doesn't necessarily mean you have to keep moving. You just have to move when you're supposed to. But that's yeah. kind of like, Tiny Thor straddles those two places. One minute it's, there you go, Sonic-like, you know, you just keep going as fast as you can. And next minute, oh, no, hang on, I'm going to land on something. Let's just make sure I'm landing just right. How have you found making sure the player isn't disorientated so they know what they should be doing? Because it's definitely a case of, knowing where you're going in platformers. Yeah. It's not where you are. That's a waste of time. You already know where you are. It's yeah. about where you're going. So just talk us through that design aspect of Yeah. So first of all, how did we decide to have momentum in this game? To be honest, I don't, re- <laughs> I don't remember it, but I know that we just, when we started to make the controls and stuff, we tried to just make it feel nice and snappy and like for example it just if you're if you're sliding down down a slope and jumping off and you get this extra momentum it just feels good it was not so much like the thought that okay we need to do this this way with this momentum to make this kind of levels it basically was the other way around that we first tried to make the movement feel great, and then um, we thought, what can we do with this level design-wise? And of course, this makes some new problem problems because if you're, especially later, if you have the dash and there are those icy slopes which speed you up even more, um, and the player gets really fast, like Sonic fast. Um, there is the problem that the player don't know where to land. The scrolling is very fast, and we tried. We we put a lot of effort into the camera, which probably most players don't even notice. But there are like there is a pretty complex standard behavior for the camera, and also in the in the level design we can add like like metadata where we want to make the camera um, look ahead. But I think it's fair. There are still level situations where this is a problem and then you just have to know the level. And if you encounter these situations the first time, you will die. And for that, our philosophy was, okay, it's fine if we can't fix it, but we should have at least a checkpoint just before that situation so it doesn't get too frustrating and what we also tried is that it the level doesn't reload and you have to wait for five seconds or before you can continue playing it from the respawn point so we really tried that if you if you're dead you can just restart at a checkpoint without any downtime yeah i think the checkpointing is excellent although sometimes you've got to earn them Sometimes you really go, oh, well, hang on, there's a checkpoint up there. I need to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, just giving it right. Oh no, no, you have to, you have to get to this one, and that's fine. That's also great, you know. But leaps of faith is what we're talking about. Can happen, sadly, 
but it's the nature of the title and how it's basically yeah. presented. Some some things, some tropes are present. Best will in the world, they exist for a reason. I'm afraid, but that's fine. By which time you kind of bought into it. So, last question, Johan, and it's been wonderful chatting about the creation of Tiny Thor, but we've got to end it somehow, and here we are. The visuals, the visual representation, how it comes across, because if you see screenshots, uh, it looks like a game from the mid-1990s uh, at a glance, but when you look at it closely, you realise it most certainly isn't. It has far too many colours for that era yeah. and that kind of thing, but Colours aside, there's other things you've done as well. And I just want you to describe for me what kind of things have you done that have taken spiritually, you've looked at those titles from that era, but then you've just sort of expanded it and used current technology and design sensibilities, design advancements to say, well, actually, this is how games are now. So could you talk us through some examples? Because I've got some ideas, but I want you to, to talk, maybe cite some mm -hmm. for us. Okay, let, let me think about it a second. Because I don't think we are doing um, too much crazy stuff from a technical standpoint. Of course, we don't have any color. Um, uh, color, what's the word? Limitations. 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 Yeah, we don't have any color limitations on it we just set our artists yeah choose the colors you think they which are looking great and of course we also don't have any limitations on the sprites like on the old nas days or something you have be very careful with the moving objects on the screen at the same time we don't have this issue on modern hardware so we could go crazy with that especially for example in the beach chasing level where I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of bees are chasing you. And of course, we what I already mentioned, we also had a bigger resolution than in the old days. But for a yeah, for a title from yeah, from today, if if you're looking on the title from a perspective from today, I don't think there is some for, for example, um, like what would have been possible for us is to throw in a lot of lightning effects or like doing uh, like alpha blending and stuff. And we have this occasionally in the game, but we were very careful with it because in my opinion, um, there are a lot of uh, other games out there who utilize pixel art and they are great. But I feel if if they overdo it with lightning and special effects, um, the pixel art gets blurred somehow. And I prefer it if you have this very clean style. Um, so we were very careful with um, with lightning effects. We have something in there, um, but yeah, we were very careful with that kind of stuff. Not because we think we have we have to limit the demand for it for the for the hardware but because we preferred it that way from an aesthetical point of view yeah on the aesthetics there is one very subtle thing 
that you did that I don't think they did or could do in the, you know back in the nineties was in many cases the sprites if they're not sprites I know but that's just for the yeah. sake of understanding um, they are outlined with very thin black lines sometimes or there are contrasts in colours to make sure that what is important and what is moving isn't blurred into the background. Yeah. So you could actually just that that little subtle tweak, that little the thing that you can do now by actually creating a very thin black outline. For example, not always, it's just something you do something to the images and the, and the creatures and the things, and there's also something always something moving, swaying around and the, yeah, the vegetation and stuff. Yeah. I mean that's the that's the axiom it's now. The background animation and stuff like this. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That was what I was also. Uh, emphasizing is that yeah it's it's quite a treat and yeah. audio as well but it matches the score in tiny thor is astonishing absolutely yeah. incredible and uh yeah wonderful stuff really really impressive yeah thank you so tiny thor has been developed by uh asylum square that's that's quite a name for a, a, a team um, where's it come from? Um, when I started my company, I I had a few ideas, and I think the other names they were all taken. Like in Germany, you have to register the company, and uh, and then I I looked for like something starting with an A, <laughs> and uh, I don't know where it came from but i had this idea so for me it sounded nice and it's also like um asylum it can be crazy and game development is crazy so i thought it's a fitting name yeah it can conjure up all sorts of imagery and uh, yeah. for me it just conjures up certain scenes from batman but anyway <laughs> yeah <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> But no, Asylum Square, so your creators of Tiny Thought. Now, could you tell us what platforms Tiny Thought is available on, please? Yes, it's available on PC and on Nintendo Switch right now. Well, it's been wonderful having you on a show, Joachim. It's been, you've been very open and honest about the creation of Tiny Thought. Yeah. And uh, we could go on and on. There's many other questions. Like, there's all the, all the collectibles. I'm not going to go into listeners. You discover that for yourself. Just I could go on about that, but I'm not going to because that's a whole show in itself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but uh, you're more than welcome to come back to talk about what next you're currently working on. I know you can't say what it is. That's the nature of the beast. But uh, we will be here. Trust me, we'll be here. Great. But in the meantime, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. What a great chat that was. Really like talking about the stuff that got thrown away. We delved into that, didn't we? Yeah. Happens a lot in game creation, in any creation, actually, especially video games. A lot hits the cutting room floor, hopefully to be resurrected in some other project. But anyway, next week we have... Station to Station by Galaxy Grove. I have Joost van Dongen 
talking about the creation of this extraordinarily beautiful and really, really brain-melting puzzle game. It's a little bit like Mini Metro in many regards, although you're not as intense. It's a little bit more relaxed. That doesn't make it any less challenging. So that's it for, for this week. Do check out next week where we chat to Yaus about Station to Station. So I'll just hand you over to my pre-recorded self now. Bye! You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash cane and rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website caneandrinse.com.